You are listening to Grab Them by the Pod, a member of the Ace Podcast Network. Joining us here at Grab Them by the Pod, I am Kevin, along with my co-host, Jesse, and we've got some exciting news to tell you about tonight. Jess, let them have it. Before we get into the issues, we've got to tell all of our listeners something very exciting happened over the weekend. Uh, an article was released on Politico magazine titled The Weird World of Trump Theme Podcast, and what do you know, we're one of the podcasts featured in it. I'm pretty excited. Uh, they said our names a few times. I think we're kind of big deals now. Yeah, we really are. You know, considering we often quote the Politico publication on this show to have our our tiny little podcast here in little old Connecticut be featured in an article about Trump podcast. You know, I feel very accomplished now. I'm very proud of this. So uh, thank you to Politico. Thank you to Jamie Fuller, the, the journalist who wrote the article. And, and we couldn't be more excited. And, and we're even more motivated to bring you the best in Trump podcast that we can. And if you can't deal with this whole newfangled political magazine thing, just literally Google Trump podcast right now. It should be the top thing popping up. You know, that may change in the coming days or weeks. But for now, we're number one. We're number one. Well, we, we certainly hope we're number one in your heart. And Jess, I'm assuming you read the article, correct? Oh, of course. I, what do you think? I'm crazy. Of course I read it. Well, the article was very interesting. It was interesting to see what other types of Trump podcasts are out there. I was particularly interested in the one where it, it's a robot voice reading Trump tweets. That's all it is for, you know, minutes on end. I got to tell you, I got hooked on it. I went to a web page that would just play them over and over and over. And they're all about 15 seconds long because it's not just Trump. It's Trump, his kids, uh, anybody in the media world talking about Trump. So it's just like Trump tweeted this earlier today. Oh, my God. On to the next one. It, it, it's, it is strangely hypnotic. I mean, it's no grabbing by the pod, but, uh, you know, for a little fun, I think it's worth watching or listening to at least for a minute or two. But alas, <laughs> that was not the most interesting thing that happened in the world of Trump this week. You know, everything happens the second we post our podcast. Last week, we were able to sneak in some last minute crazy tweets uh, that Trump put out there. But the day after we put our podcast out last week, oh, my God, it was a storm towards Bannon, uh, towards a whole bunch of people. So on Friday, Michael Wolff's book, Fire and Fury, Inside the Trump White House, was released. It was actually released earlier because Swift was coming out on Tuesday, but uh, the White House threatened to sue, so they just stuck it out there early, which, you know, that's a whole other thing we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, but even before that, earlier in the week, excerpts of the book were leaked, and uh, it was not good. Steve Bannon described the 2016 meeting at Trump Tower between the Russian lawyer Don Jr. and Jared Kushner as treasonous and unpatriotic, and that caused Trump to basically lose his mind, uh, which is ironic because what he says later on. Trump said when he, talking about Bannon, was fired, he not only lost his job, he lost his mind. Now that he's on his own, Steve is learning that winning isn't as easy as it made it look. Uh, Steve had, <laughs> this is a lie, Steve had little to do with our historic victory. Steve was rarely in one-on-one meetings with me and only pretends we have had influence to fool a few people with no access and no clue whom he helped write phony books. What do you make of that? Well, first things first, I think that the president and his team of lawyers did themselves no favors in suggesting that they would pursue a cease and desist order because that's the equivalent of a book burning. When you say that you're going to ban a particular book, all that does is make, you know, the curious minded folks out there go out and buy it to read it. 
you know, as if people weren't already interested to find out what's going on inside the White House and a Trump presidency. This just gave them all the more reason to want to know. Secondly, having worked on numerous political campaigns, including my own, uh, I know that it takes much more than one candidate themselves to earn a victory. So, you know, Trump made it look easy winning the White House. He certainly didn't do it on his own. And I believe that Steve Bannon was a major part of it. You know, and by the way, we should add that Steve Bannon is actually stepping down from Breitbart today. So he's had a pretty rough seven days. Um, he's trying to make a comeback. Who, who knows? He's, he's kissing Trump's butt. But uh, he, he may just be too little too late for that. But well, if if. This means that now that he's out at Breitbart, that he's really out of good graces with everybody. What does he have to lose? Maybe he'll start speaking out even more. Only time will tell. Uh, but going back to what you said about Trump saying, don't read the book. It's like when I watch a movie and someone's going over a very high bridge and they go, whatever you do, don't look down. What's the first thing you do is you look down. Or, or in this case, when Trump says, don't do something, what's the first thing I want to do is do it. Just you know, despite him. Uh, and of course, Trump does. It's now a classic Trump move. Uh, the second someone leaves the administration, he actually barely knew them. We saw it with Paul Manafort. We saw it with Corey Lewandowski. And now we're seeing it with what he's dubbing sloppy Steve Bannon, which, by the way, this that name actually fits. Uh, yeah, I don't want to. I hate to agree with the president, but uh, Steve Bannon is sloppy. Might be his most appropriate nickname today. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, this revisionist history isn't fooling anybody. I mean, he was heavily involved in a lot of the administration's early decisions and priorities. Presidents just don't let random schmucks sit in Oval Office meetings. It's not, I mean, I know this is a very uh, odd White House, but come on. If you're in an Oval Office meeting, it's because you're one of the bigwigs. You're one of the inner circle. Uh, and for Trump to insinuate anything else, it's just ridiculous. And I don't think anybody's buying that. You're either a big wig, part of the inner circle, or you are Michael Wolf and allowed to sit on a couch in the Oval Office and just observe as a fly on the wall. <laughs> and the funny thing is that if Trump had just waited a second, taken a beat, uh, it sounds like Bannon had planned to bash the book before all this happened. And, uh, you know, Trump just shot himself in the foot and you know he has to take a moment and breathe. That's one of his biggest problems that he reacts immediately with the first thing that comes to his mind rather than you know, sleeping on it. Uh, see how you feel in the morning. And if he would do that, I think he'd be in a lot less trouble. Yeah, I agree. But we know the president is prone to making rash decisions and firing off uh, from the hip about his feelings. So this is par for the course thus far in the Trump presidency. So we're all we're hearing from Trump, all we're hearing from Sarah Huckabee Sanders is that this book is the literary equivalent of fake news. They call it tabloid trash. Um, and, and we mentioned a little earlier, Trump has even threatened to sue Wolf over the book, um, which is, you know, it's just crazy. I, I, only in D.C. when this came out, by the way, on Friday, will bookstores stay open until 1 a.m. I lived in the D.C. area for 10 years, and I went out a couple times to uh, bookstores that are open at 1 a.m. That was for Harry Potter when those were book, books were coming out. But, you know, they're going to sell this book because uh, I think everybody wanted to get their hands on it. I think if Trump did not make a big deal about it, it would have come. People would have talked about it, and they would have moved on to the next crazy thing going on. But because of all the all the press he's giving it to them for free, it's uh, it's really going to be a thing, I think, six around, if not for a month, if longer. I mean, this might be the, I don't want to say it's going to bring down the White House, but everybody's talking about Trump's mental state now, and that's a big topic of conversation. You know, it's surprising to me that the White House would label this as tabloid trash, considering, you know, isn't the president on record as having said that he National Enquirer was a newspaper that he would read <laughs> regularly? 
and funny thing, I was actually listening to the 538 political podcast this morning, and they were saying that Wolf actually went in there to write an article in favor of Trump and kind of wanted to stick it to the media. But when he got there, he saw what he saw and kind of had to change things around. And I understand that um, the book probably isn't 100% accurate. Um, to me, it's like when you make a movie based on true events, the exact quotes might not be comp- completely accurate. But I think the events and the tone, uh, those both strike me as, as pretty accurate. I mean, when I'm reading what I'm reading, it's not like I'm like, no, that never could have happened in the White House. I go, yeah, it's probably a pretty good chance that happened in the Trump White House. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, Jess. And, and I completely agree with you. Of course, this Michael Wolff is trying to sell books and he's trying to make a name for himself as well. So take some things with a grain of salt, but it doesn't seem to be that far off base based on the what we have seen, the narrative we've seen in the media. And some say, okay, so he's writing a book to just fit the narrative that's already there. But you gotta you gotta think that some of this stuff really is happening, if not the the quotes being uh, direct. If you listen to the White House, Wolf was never there. Wolf didn't talk to anybody, but reporters have actually seen Wolf several times in the in the West Wing in 2007, excuse me, 2017. And we'd actually know whether he was there and how many times he was there if the White House shared the visitor logs, but they're not doing that. Or their taxes. Yeah. <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> well, Trump is getting his uh, physical this week, but it's not covering several things, including you know his mental acumen. So uh, we'll never really know what's going on there. So just want to give some quick highlights from the book. Uh, before we move on, Trump expected to lose, actually wanted to because he'd be the more famous. Jared and Ivanka would become international celebrities. Bannon would become the de facto head of the Tea Party movement. Kellyanne Conway would be a cable news star. Uh, instead, apparently, the reporting is that they were all shocked when he won and Melania was even crying because she didn't want any part of this. Can you imagine being her in this situation? Well, even when they did win, I I remember that the reports said they had to go kind of collect themselves before they talked to their supporters, and I think they were probably saying, "Oh my God, like what the what the hell is going on?" Because uh, everybody who was saying they were going to lose, we were saying they were going to lose. We weren't a podcast, but you and I talking were <laughs> saying they were going to lose, and then when that happens, oh my God, what do you do next? Uh, also, one of Trump's campaign aides tried to educate uh, Trump on the Constitution, but apparently Trump grew tired and bored uh, and couldn't make it past the Fourth Amendment. That goes with what we hear about him liking a lot of graphs and pictures and bullet points in his notes. Well, that's very familiar for me. It's kind of like when I stand up there in front of a classroom full of teenagers trying to teach them about the Constitution. They are often bored by it, and you know I lose them by the Third or Fourth Amendment. So I, I'm aware of what that feels like uh, on the teaching end. We should hope, though, that the president, the man that's enforced uh, or is uh, challenged to enforce the law, would know a thing or two about the Constitution. You know, is that not disturbing to more people? I don't know. It's disturbing to me. Well, this report says he only got to the Fourth Amendment. Something tells me that Donald Trump is very well versed on the Fifth Amendment, and perhaps we'll see that in the coming weeks. Um, Trump allies, also like uh, Rupert Murdoch, were stunned by his lack of understanding on issues and policies. That mirrors what we heard regarding the tax uh, reform process, the health care reform process, that people just talk to him and dude has no idea what he's talking about. Oh, you know, to be a fly on the wall, what I wouldn't give to be in Michael uh, Wolf's position to have been able to see some of this. It's 
to be a fly on the wall, like you said. It's I, I can only imagine what happens in there. I'm um, just going through some of these quickly. Um, on inauguration day, he was fighting with Melania and was pissed off that celebrities didn't show up. It makes sense. There's a very famous video clip there where he's talking to her and she is not you know, receiving it very well. Uh, apparently his top aides have questioned his intelligence. The quote is, uh, for Steve Mnuchin and Rance, Rance Priebus, he was an idiot. For Gary Cohn, he was a dumb, dumb as shit. For H.R. McMaster, he was a dope. And uh, if you're starting to work for a new president, you don't want to have those opinions of him. Uh, you want to have the exact opposite opinions of him. Yes, I think those things have been said of, you know, most presidents, have they not? Yeah, but not so early in the presidency. Um, so, you know, after all that, uh, Breitbart uh, actually started attacking Trump for his attacks on Bannon. It just shows how quick things move in a week. Um, but uh, it looked like Bannon was trying to come back with his tail between his legs. Um, Bannon went out there and put statements out that Donald Jr. was a patriot and a good man, and he regretted things that he was quoted on in the Wolf book. And it's it's just too late, Bannon. As we said earlier, um, you know, he's a, he's definitely a rogue agent now. Um, Breitbart's not behind him. The Trump White House is not behind him. Honestly, I don't know who's behind him because it seems when they had to pick between Trump and Bannon, most people went with Trump. And I mean, was that the right decision? I guess we'll find out. But uh, it's, it kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place when you had to pick between those two. Yeah, from treasonous to patriot in a week. That's impressive. I mean, for all of Steve Bannon's faults, if I had to say one positive thing about him, I would say he stand, he sticks to his guns. You know, he stands by his convictions. As messed up as those convictions may be, he'll he'll stand by them. And guess not, because he, uh, again, like I said earlier, uh, put his tail between his legs and said, I'm sorry. Uh, he did all that, and he's still persona non grata in Washington, D.C. right now. So, oh, well. So, as if that wasn't enough to talk about in this podcast oh my god that was just the the opening act uh we trump all tweets. <laughs> trump tweets uh again last episode we talked quickly about some of the crazy things uh that he was tweeting before we went on the air um he was directing some comments at kim jong-un regarding the size of their respective nuclear buttons uh, most sane people question the logic between poking a bear with access to nuclear weapons um, and then during the press briefing last week, uh, Playboy's White House correspondent, Brian Karam, asked Sarah Bernie Sanders bluntly, uh, when Trump undergoes his physical, are there mental acuity tests that go along with that? Well, Sanders did not like that and thought it was disgusting that he asked that. Uh, and that led to some but of the crazy But people do read Playboy for the articles. Honestly enough, go, wow, Playboy has a White House correspondent. And I should have known that because the same guy really gave it to Sarah Bernie Sanders a few months ago, too. Uh, I guess this guy doesn't get called on much, and when he does, he just goes to town. Oh, he might as well. You I know, mean, the readers need to know this stuff. Hugh's gone. The inmates are running the asylum. Who knows who's in charge? Come on. So, so all these questions about uh, Trump's mental health. Uh, led some of the craziest tweets I've seen, and that's saying something uh, when it comes to this presidency. All the crazy tweets come on Saturday mornings. I don't know if there's just no staffers around and he's just sitting there in his bathrobe uh, going nuts. Um, and he's, First of all, he starts out by saying, now that Russian collusion after one year of an intense study has proven to be a total hoax on the American people. That has not been proven. You can say that over and over again. That is the definition of fake news. Nothing so the has Mueller been proven. Inves Mueller investigation is over. I, mi I missed that. 
yeah, you know, I usually get those updates on my iPhone saying, hey, by the way, here's something you want to read. But no, we have not heard that. Uh, Mueller's still sticking around. Uh, but if you are living in Donald Trump's head, uh, it's all been proven that he's innocent. Uh, but the real whopper came next. He then tweeted out, actually, throughout my life, my two greatest assets have been mental stability and being, like, really smart. I went from very successful businessman to top TV star to president of the United States on my first try. I think that would qualify as not smart, but genius, and a very stable genius at that. On your first try, on your first try, Donald, except that time in 2000 when you ran for president. Uh, you know, according to The Hill's Tom Squitieri, who wrote a nice look back at Trump's 1999 campaign for the Reform Party's nomination in the 2000 election, uh, he wrote this article back in 2015, uh, gave a lot of Good insight. Uh, reminded me, you know, I was a, a much younger man back then and, and probably wasn't paying attention uh, to Donald Trump's candidacy. But, you know, Donald, uh, for a few months, went pretty hard at the nomination for the Reform Party, the, the party that was started by Ross Perot back in 1992 when he ran against Bill Clinton and George H.W. Bush. Um, Trump left the GOP in 1999, according uh, to The Guardian's Edward Helmore, because the party had gone just too crazy right and ultimately conceded the nomination uh, for the Reform Party uh, nomination for the, the candidate for president to the more conservative Pat Buchanan. So your first try, Donald. And if you want the weekly reader version of that, just go to Wikipedia. There's a whole article on it. And there are pictures. I mean, those those Trump 2000 signs aren't fake news. Uh, they're not some uh, Photoshop of the deep state. They actually exist, and there are people who were there in those pictures. Well, I find it funny that in 99, Trump left the Republican Party because they were just too crazy right and came crawling right back to that wing of the party in 2016 to get himself elected. 1999 and 2000, those were a time of innocence, were they not? The world was a different place, really. So I was not the only person to make this comparison, although I had to do it immediately. Uh, when Trump says he's like really smart and a stable genius, to me it's, it sounded like Fredo from The Godfather Part Two, where he's like, you know, I, I can do things, I, I'm smart, I'm not stupid, I'm smart. If you have to say you're smart and you have to point out that you're smart, eh, you probably got some issues. It's kind of like uh, Christine O'Donnell, right, mm. back in 2010 when she ran for Joe Biden's vacated seat, who had to say she wasn't a witch. If you have to say, I'm not a witch, well, you should probably get out of the, the contest because you're in big trouble. Oh, boy. Um, and even if you and think— Nixon wasn't a crook, right? <laughs> yeah. I am not a crook. <laughs> Um, even if you think Trump is a genius, you know, would anybody, even his biggest supporters, call him stable? I mean, that goes against his actual character that he, he, you know, he bucks trends. He does what he wants. He says what he feels. He's not stable. He's the, uh, the, the, the candidate you can't choose, the president you can't, um, you can't predict. But, you know, he's a very stable genius, according to him. And who are we to say otherwise? Oh, wait, we're a podcast talking about Trump issues. That's who we are. Very stable genius he is. So we have Donald Trump as president. And I can't believe I'm saying this next part as well. Um, there's a lot of buzz going around about Oprah Winfrey possibly running for president in 2020 on the Democratic ticket. Um, <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> well, you know, I, I've had uh, a number of discussions on this topic over the last couple of days um, with colleagues, friends of mine. Um, you know, Oprah, 
I'll give it to her. She's been very altruistic uh, in her history. She pushes for women's rights, seemingly progressive. Um, she's a truly self-made success story, unlike the, the narrative that the president likes to play. Um, she founded a school for girls in Africa. She donated $10 million to the Hurricane Katrina relief effort. She's done a lot of very positive things for our country and seems to be looking out for the best interests of a lot of people. But at the end of the day, she is a billionaire television personality, which yeah. is the same situation we got ourselves into with the election of Donald Trump. And while she may be well-intended, she's not somebody with political acumen and you know, knowledge of or deep knowledge of the political process. You know, you and I, Jesse, at least we studied <laughs> political science. We have degrees in the subject. I want somebody in the White House who's trained in the art of policy and statecraft and has some foreign policy experience. Enough with the TV personalities. Yeah, call me crazy, but uh, I want a politician to run for president. I know uh, people are looking for an outsider, but I think we've we've all seen that that's not the best way to go. And I, I can only imagine, you get amnesty, you get amnesty, you get a green card. Green cards for everybody, hey um, But by the way, this all stems from Oprah's uh, speech Sunday night at the Golden Globes. covered sexual harassment, racism, more, and afterwards, people like Stedman said, oh, yeah, she, maybe she might run. Gail King said she might run. Um, I've actually never been a huge fan of Oprah. I mean, like, I appreciate the things she does. I, um, you know, I, I, I probably agree with her on a lot of issues, but she's kind of rubbed me the wrong way in some, the way she treated James Fry when he lied. If you're going to be president, you're going to be telling some lies. You might be in big trouble there. Um, the way she treated her men. I, it's, I, I'm more of an Ellen person. How about that? We'll leave it at that. Um, but if it was Oprah versus Trump, I think I know which way I'd go. But I, I just I don't want that. I, I like you. You said we want people who have studied policy because she might be smart. She may be a good businesswoman, but uh, as we see with Donald Trump right now, if you don't have any history crafting policy, working within the system, it can be a very heavy lift and it can be uh, be a big big trouble for the people I think working with her and people living in this country. I don't know. You know, Donald Donald Trump was elected in large part because he was from outside of Washington, because he was different. He wasn't part of the quote unquote swamp. But we now need someone to bring us back to a little bit of normalcy, in my opinion. You know, so we need that more classically trained politician, you know, not the the lying, cheating, stealing type of politician, but somebody who is a little bit more versed in all of the aspects that the office of the presidency bring along with it. And so, you know, Oprah Winfrey, uh, as you said, Jess, if she were the option uh, against Donald Trump in 2020, I, I think I know who I'd be voting for. But I really hope that the Democratic Party can find somebody with a little bit more uh, political acumen, if you will, uh, the chops, if you will, to run for the presidency. Well, I think what we're going to see in 2020, and a lot of it will depend on how 2018 turns out, but kind of a new generation of presidential candidates. Sure, we'll have the Bernie Sanders and maybe the Joe Bidens, but we'll have people like Kirsten Gillibrand, like Kamala Harris. Um, I guess I can't say Elizabeth Warren, though, because she's very old. But you know, we're seeing people, I guess, of, of 
the next you know, generation Xers possibly uh, who would want to be running as opposed to the baby boomer, boomers or people even older than that. And with the new generation comes new ideas, a new way of handling things. And uh, while they may not be outsiders, uh, maybe it's a new enough voice that it's something people are going to want to hear. And I think it's going to be interesting to see who decides they want to run, um, what their message is, and how they go about putting that message out there for the people to listen to. Yeah, I would like to see some of these younger Gen X-type uh, candidates run. Uh, some of the ones that you mentioned would be interesting to see if they were to uh, stage a candidacy. You know, oddly enough, just to bring it back to Oprah for a minute, uh, according to that same aforementioned article in The Hill by Tom Squitieri, uh, Donald Trump, apparently back in 2000, in his his first run for the White House, considered Oprah as a running mate. He actually has said several nice things about her. Back in 2012, he made a comment on Twitter that goes along the lines of, um, Oprah was out here for Obama in 2008, but where is she now? Ah, it doesn't matter. I love I love Oprah. So it would be funny. Uh, again, again, he took pictures with the Clintons, too, and was buddy-buddy with them. And look what happened there. So I guess um, that's all just fake news if, if it were ever come to pass. Oh, they were good Although enough Ivanka, for a wedding present. Yes. Well, I, Ivanka said uh, some positive things about Oprah's speech, too. So uh, that was kind of weird. No. So you know how a few minutes ago how, how we mentioned how Trump said that he was proven innocent? Well, we know that's not a fact because uh, Mueller is still going to be interviewing him uh, sometime in the near future. Washington Post reported that special counsel Robert Mueller and his team could interview President Trump within the next several weeks. Um, some reports have Trump feeling comfortable participating in the questioning. No big deal. I have nothing to hide. Other reports uh, say he doesn't really want to talk to Mueller and is requesting uh, written responses instead of live questioning, which I think is, in this case, uh, ridiculous and not going to happen. Yeah, that's the equivalent of my students asking to take a test home, but yeah. swearing that they, they won't cheat on it. Yeah, I won't talk to anybody else to go on the internet, I swear. Although, you know, Trump, from what we've seen with his tweets, would he let anybody do anything? I mean, he's a stable genius. He's, like, really smart. Very I think stable. He thinks he can ace these things. <laughs> so um, some have asked, you know, could Trump say, I'm not going to meet with uh, Mother, I'm, I'm not going to do it, I'm going to refuse – and the Supreme Court has never actually addressed this directly, um, especially when it comes to a president refusing to cooperate in a criminal investigation on his own conduct. Um, but the reason there's no precedent is because no president has actually ever fought this kind of request. Um, but there have been past cases, one with Nixon, one with Clinton, uh, where court has suggested that they are – don't have any authority to do that. I hope it doesn't come to that. I don't think there's any indications necessarily right now that it would come to that. But uh, if this presidency has taught us one thing, it's that you can never count out any outcome. Yeah, you know, of course, Nixon famously fired the special prosecutor, Archibald Cox, and that just, you know, sped up the process for him eventually resigning from uh, the presidency. And Bill Clinton didn't decline or or try to fire the special prosecutor, Kenneth Starr, uh, but, you know, he lied and under oath and painted Starr as the bad guy, as a super partisan out to get him and undercut his authority, uh, which led actually to higher approval ratings for Clinton. Uh, and he ended up finishing his term uh, on a high note, even having been only the second president in the history of our country to be impeached. And while the president lying under oath is an important thing, it pales in comparison to some of the accusations against the Trump administration. So I think we have to look at that in a you know, very, very different situation. And uh, I, I 
think uh, no matter what the outcome, Trump's approval rating probably won't be higher when all is said and done. Right. It, but again, stranger things have happened. It matters what the lies are about. It matters what the investigation is about. And of course, the Clinton investigation dealt with the real estate transactions, the Whitewater affair back in Arkansas in his time as governor, some real estate deals uh, and what advantages the Clintons might have had in those. You know, certainly while they may have been extra legal, they weren't something that impacted the entire nation in the way that Russian meddling in our election you know, the impact that that has on our entire democracy. So, you know, you do sometimes have to weigh the situation differently. So as with so many things, we're going to wait and see what happens in the coming weeks with Mother. It's going to be very interesting to see um, what the outcome is because, I mean, that's to a certain degree the main event. We've seen him go after um, a few people that are you could call smaller fishes. He's gotten a few people to uh, admit their guilt or at least plead guilty. Um, and then it's on to the president and see uh, what happens next. But uh, when the president is not tweeting out himself, he's sending what I would call his flunkies out uh, to do his bidding for him. Um, over the weekend, uh, Stephen Miller went on Jake Tapper's show to discuss some of the current issues. I was actually over your house on, on Sunday and started watching this interview on our on the, my phone, and, and you were sitting over there. We were listening to it together, and we should have known no good would have come of this. I mean, <laughs> Stephen Miller has a certain set of skills, much like Liam Neeson, although his certain set of skills are usually just going out there and being loud and, and getting the talking points you know, out no matter what the uh, he has to do to do it, whether it's talking over his host or just uh, ignoring what is being said. Yeah, Stephen Miller, uh, as we've talked about before on the show, was a Bannon disciple, an extreme conservative um, who, while a student at Duke University, uh, was an associate of the white supremacist Richard Spencer, who who we've also talked about on the show before, and who, according to former Duke senior vice president John Burness, uh, while Miller was a student at Duke, he seemed to assume that if you were in disagreement with him, that there was something malevolent or stupid about your thinking and that he was incredibly intolerant. So this coming from a vice president or former vice president of the university who had dealings with him when he was a student, he's always had this kind of chip on his shoulder, this attitude that he knows better than you and he will talk you down until you listen. And we can see why it fits in so well in this administration. He and the president share a lot of characteristics. So they started out the interview discussing Mike Wolf's book. Things quickly fell apart. It didn't take long for Miller to attack Wolf, attack Steve Bannon. Uh, and as Tapper tried to delve a little deeper, Miller started to, in my opinion, freak out. He talked over Tapper, wouldn't let him speak, went to his usual rant about CNN being against Trump. Uh, Miller said to Tapper, you have 24 hours of negative anti-Trump hysterical coverage on this network that led in the recent weeks so sp to some spectacularly embarrassing false reporting from your network. Viewers are entitled to have three minutes of the truth. Miller wouldn't stand for questions around Trump's fitness. No, none of them. Well, it's, it's kind of like they're kryptonite. They hear that and they all just go nuts. The modus operandi, the deny, deflect, and then accuse the accuser. Yeah, he's not fit. Maybe you're not fit, Jake Tapper. Okay, it's probably not the case. So finally, Tapper just said, you know, there's one viewer that you care about right now, and you're being obsequious. You're being a factotum in order to please him. Big words there by Jake Tapper. Good for you. Uh, at that point, Tapper just ended the interview, but reports are that Miller refused to leave and was forced by the network to be escorted out. 
Uh, again, we don't have uh, any video of this, although there has been a transcript of what happened when they went off the air. CNN's kind of not commenting on it, but uh, again, it's not a good look for the Trump administration. No, and at the same time, too, maybe not a good look for CNN either or for any uh, media outlet that might you know, shut off an interview early with one of Trump's people. You know, according to Callum Borchers at The Washington Post, this, you know, can create an appearance of fear-driven censorship and fuel the claims of media bias that the president has already been making. So, you know, it is a tightrope you have to walk. You want to let the Trump administration, as crazy as it may sound, be able to voice their opinion because if we shut them off, it allows them to make that claim that the media is biased. So it is a tightrope to walk. But having watched Tapper's interview, you know, I would have shut him down myself. All you do is give them more fodder to say that they're fake news. And that's going to be a big thing in the White House in the next coming weeks. As we mentioned last week, Trump announced that he's holding the fake news awards. It's supposed to happen last Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern time, but not so fast. They were delayed. They were pushed up, pushed back a little bit. On Sunday, Trump tweeted the fake news awards. Those going to the most corrupt and biased of the mainstream media. We presented to the losers on Wednesday, January 17th, rather than this coming Monday. The interest in and importance of these awards is far greater than anyone could have anticipated. So we have the president of the United States stressing that these stupid awards are extremely important rather than just a waste of time. Um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders wonders why the media doesn't report the things that he does well at the stock market. It's because Trump is constantly doing things like this. Trump is his biggest adversary when it comes to the media reporting his positive stories. He's focusing on stupid things like the fake news awards, and he puts it out there and just – eats up time on these networks rather than talking about uh, what, what they would have be forced to talk about uh, otherwise, the, the stock market going really well. Yeah, I'd like to file a formal protest uh, on this one here, Jess. Do we know if this is being paid for by tax dollars? You know, like who's paying for this nonsense? It's out there that it's against um, regulations, government regulations, that if anybody in the White House spends their government time doing this and puts in any of their effort, it's against, you can't do it. You can't do things against the media. You can't do things that, that are going to be good to – you'd assume like Fox would do very well. The things like the Five would do very well here while CNN would be bad. It's against the law, and anybody who does that will have to be careful of being opened up to a, to a lawsuit and possibly, I don't know, if it's jail time or losing their job. You, you can't do that. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly what this is. I mean, if government money is going to make awards, can't do that. It's against the law. Man, the president just can't get out of his own way. You know, just he constantly creates his own problems. Just let sleeping dogs lie, my friend. And I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, unfortunately. Also, unfortunately, uh, the last point I want to bring up here just very quickly. I can't believe we're covering this, but Sheriff Joe Arpaio announced that he's running for Jeff Flake's Senate seat in Arizona. Let's remember, Trump pardoned Arpaio last year after he was convicted of ignoring a court order related to racial profiling. Let me repeat that. This guy ignored a court order and continued to racially profile. Trump gave him a pardon, and now he's running for a Senate seat uh, to be serving in the same state as John McCain, who was a guy, whether you like his policies or not, fought for this country and was a prisoner of war for many years. It's just very sad that this is a possibility. So the man who can't be bothered to abide by the law that he's sworn to uphold, a la Roy Moore uh, down in Alabama, and, and mm-hmm. uh, but he wants to be a part of making them. I see that 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 makes perfect sense. 
Now, that dude's really old. I think he's like 86. I'm pretty sure the people in Arizona are better than this. At least I hope they are. Um, I think this is just a flight of fancy. I don't think he'll get the no- at least the Republican nomination. But the fact that it's going to be an issue, we're going to have to hear his frankly disgusting talk um, more as 2018 gets closer. It's, it's just going to be really sad. This guy should go away. He, he is a criminal. He's a convicted criminal. And now he wants to be a member of the uh, upper body of the United States Congress. It's I don't want to talk about him anymore, although sadly I think uh, that we may have to as the uh, the weeks and episodes come. <laughs> well, on a brighter note, you know, if Alabama could elect Doug Jones, then I suppose anything is possible, even in the land of Barry Goldwater. You know, I think Arizona's going to the left a bit. They're getting a lot of um, Hispanic voters in there who usually vote Democratic, uh, regardless of what the president is trying to convince them of in recent tweets. So it's going to be interesting. Um, from what we've seen out of Jeff Flake, he would endorse Joe Arpaio, he might even endorse the Democratic candidate. Remember, he gave a hundred bucks to uh, to Doug Jones's candidacy or his uh, campaign. So it's going to be a very interesting 2018. We knew that uh, the House right now is likely going Democrat, although you know anything can change in the next year and a half or so. But the Senate is going to be close, and Arizona is one of the states and one of the seats the Democrats have to win if they want a chance of taking back uh, the Senate as well as the House. So uh, having someone as polarizing as Joe Arpaio is probably not good for the Republicans. They should probably not endorse him, not give him uh, the time of day if they want a chance to keep holding on to the Senate. Well, and this just came out before uh, we went to podcast as well, Jess, and I don't know if you saw this or not, but uh, some issues with congressional districts and and this 2018 campaign uh, that the state of North Carolina's congressional districts were found to be – uh, drawn up bias. The courts have now ruled, and I have not had a chance to do deep research into this yet, but it's something that bears talking about in future episodes that we'll have to pay attention to. I read very briefly that the courts will not allow them to have their 2018 elections until this is redrawn. Um, they're actually going to have um, a non-biased person, too, also redrawing it at the same time, probably to see what they come up with. Um, the, re- the gerrymandering, the redistricting, it's all ridiculous. So often in, taken over by the party in charge, Someone who's nonpartisan, who doesn't have a stake in it, they should be the people that do this. Because if you look at some of these districts, it's like a spiral sometimes because they want to make sure that they have a safe district for their member of the House to stay in there for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And that's so stupid. It should be drawn up like a normal human being would draw it up, um, not worrying about whether there are Democrats or Republicans in there and then let the cards fall where they may. This is not the only place where I think where it's going to come up. And I hope we see more things like this. We need districts that are that are fair and that the people in there aren't being just pigeonholed into one area so that there's one Democratic district or one Republican district and then the others are all the opposite. Well, before we end this podcast, Kevin, what do you have tonight for Kevin's Corner? Well, Jesse – Much has been made this week of the president's mental acuity and stability, which is a concept that has rarely been a concern in the history of our great nation. In choosing a Twitter rant as his medium for expressing his frustration over a critical analysis of his presidency and mental state, the president continued to prove the point of his critics. As a young man, my father always reminded me that regardless of how good I might be in any aspect of life, there would always be someone that was better, bigger, or stronger. And likewise, there would always be those that were less fortunate as well. In my life, I have also observed that those who must speak in such lofty tones about their own achievements or abilities is compensating for a deficiency in their own self-esteem. While intelligence is one important characteristic for an American president to possess, it may not be the most consequential. 
Perhaps as we approach the anniversary of his birth, we should consider the words of Martin Luther King Jr. and judge our leaders by the content of their character more than anything else their IQs might suggest. You know, as the quote has been attributed to uh, Albert Einstein, although when it comes to quotes online, you can never be too sure about uh, who they actually came from. But it's a, a true genius, if you're listening to Donald Trump, a true genius admits that he or she knows nothing. And I think that's the truth. Uh, the second you think you know everything is the moment you realize you know nothing. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to this episode. Remember to go to our website at grabbingbythepod.com. You can find all the links to our social media accounts, uh, the links to how you can listen to this podcast, whether you're listening to it right now, so you're probably okay. Uh, find a couple of handsome pictures of us. You can even find a link to the article we mentioned earlier in this episode, the Politico magazine article, The Weird World of Trump-Themed Podcasts by Jamie Fuller. Thanks so much again, Jamie. And uh, until next time, Kevin, it's been great. Later. Later.